So this week, today, we begin our summer message series um, that we call Spirit Flicks. And um, Spirit Flicks is based on movies that Reverend Ken and Robin Evans and I will be preaching on over the summer. In our weekly email, if you receive our weekly email, you can see a list of the coming attractions, <laughs> which include, among others, The Great Gatsby, which is out now, Silver Linings Playbook, which was out earlier, Man of Steel coming out, uh, a little bit older movie called The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith, and many others. And some of those films are in theaters now or will be coming out this summer, and some of them are available on DVD or Netflix or however you get your movies. And what we would like you to do, this is an invitation. You need to hear this song. Okay? One of the cool things about Spirit Flicks is it gives you the opportunity to turn to the people around you right now and invite them out to the movies with you. Or if you want to watch it at home, invite some folks over to watch the film before we preach on it. It will give you an opportunity to connect to people in the congregation, to friends, to folks you don't know well. And it will also get you ahead on what we're going to talk about in the sermon on Sunday. So on one hand, you might think that the whole idea of spirit flicks coming from Reverend Belden is just to give us an excuse, Ken and Robin and I, to put down our heavy <laughs> theological tomes and spend a couple hours in mindless entertainment in the theater. <laughs> Only here's the thing, it doesn't have to be mindless. One of the core beliefs that we hold here at Wellsprings is that the burning bush is blazing everywhere. Another way to put that is that revelation is not sealed. See, at Wellsprings, we find that inspiration, that truth, is an ongoing process, and that the divine, the holy, the sacred is available to us in our everyday experiences, in the music we listen to, in the conversations we have with our neighbor, in the aisles of the grocery store, perhaps even when perusing the internet, and yes, even on the big screen, whether that screen's in a theater or in your home. So movies at their core are simply stories. And if we are mindful of those stories, if we cultivate our spiritual awareness in listening to these stories, we continue to build our capacity to fully engage our lives. So in that spirit this morning, I'd like to start with a story, which is actually not from a movie, but rather is from a Zen Buddhist tradition. And so the story is this. There's a samurai warrior, a big, huge samurai warrior. Strength exudes from his whole presence. And he's used to having people do exactly what he asks them to do or commands them to do. And this warrior seeks out a monk. And he finds this, this kind of tiny, elderly, frail monk sitting on his mat, meditating. And the samurai says, Monk, tell me about heaven and hell. And the monk opens his eyes, looks at this 
samurai and with utter disdain says, teach you about heaven and hell? Teach you about heaven and hell? I couldn't teach you about anything. You're an idiot. <laughs> You're filthy. You're disgusting. You're an insult to the samurai caste. Well, our, <laughs> our voice, our monk, our samurai, gets enraged. His face turns red. He starts shaking and he draws his sword and he goes to the monk and he goes to kill this monk for insulting himself. And just as the sword comes down, it's inches from the monk's neck, the monk looks up and says, that is hell. Samurai freezes inches from slaying this monk and realizes what he's just been given. Realizes that this monk is so compassionate, so loving, that he would risk his own life to teach him, to teach the samurai about heaven and hell. And in gratitude, he drops his sword and falls to his knees. And as the monk returns to his meditation, his eyes close, and he says, and that is heaven. Now this story, I tell this story because it reminds me a little bit about our film this week, which is Star Trek, Into Darkness. Now, I don't know about this congregation and their feelings about Star Trek. And I'm not sure if many people here would willingly identify themselves as Trekkers, which it, oh, good. And understand that Trekkers is the actual term for fans of the Star Trek franchise as against Trekkie, okay, which is not the right term. <laughs> And while I probably wouldn't openly identify myself as Trekker, the fact that I know the preferred term, coupled with the fact that I really have seen all the Star Trek movies, probably most of the original TV series and much of the subsequent TV series, <laughs> it might indicate my affinity towards this particular cultural icon. So a few years ago, you might remember that the whole Star Trek series kind of got this reboot from director J.J. Abrams, who took us back in the science fiction timeline to when the crew of the Enterprise were young and very much first getting together to form their crew. And in that film, we met a young, brash loner of a young man named James Kirk. And this young Kirk is, for various reasons, isolated from any real human connection. We often see him getting drunk and hitting on women getting into fights, lashing out at nearly everyone in his path. And how that young man becomes captain of a starship is a subject of the first of these reboot films. And today's movie that's out in the theaters now, Into Darkness, is the second. And in this film, we find Kirk continuing his journey from youthful arrogance and isolation into a deeper connection to those around him. He's still a rule breaker, though, of course. He is Kirk. 
And he holds firm to a sense that his good intentions, his good will, is sufficient to take on all comers in all situations, simply because he feels it's right. And we find Kirk to be fiercely loyal, of course, to his crew and those that have pulled him out of his psychic isolation. He's beginning to trust a little bit more than his just his gut feeling. He's beginning to trust in and rely upon the crew of the Enterprise. In a way, I think he's discovered his community. Perhaps like some of you might have discovered this community. He's become deeply connected to them, and he defends them and protects them at every turn. As I watch this film, I realize that he's on this sort of journey of humility. Learning that his strength lies not only in his good intentions, his intelligence, or his skills, but more that his strength lies in the connection to those around him. So in, in, in the movie Into Darkness, this journey is interrupted, of course. And it's interrupted by a trauma that threatens his life, the lives of his crew, and in fact, it actually takes the life of one of his heroes, a, a father figure to him. Acts of a terrorist threaten the fragile identity that Kirk had begun to form for himself and the security of those around him. And so he gets derailed from this journey of humility. And he falls back on his isolation, his arrogance, and his sense of revenge. People around him are threatened. People around him are dying. He's going to protect them. And he's going to get his revenge. And perhaps he believes such revenge serves the cause of justice. And if not justice, at least security. So here I want to take us back to our samurai warrior. The monk, in apparently refusing to cede to the demands of the samurai, insults him and derails the warrior's sense of identity, of who the warrior sees himself to be. And the samurai's response is to immediately move to rage and violence in defense of his honor, of his identity. But you know, that response is, is removed from the human connection, removed from compassion and empathy, removed from love. It is a hell. And it is a hell of our own making. But one we do not have to live into. In the moment of trauma or the insult or whatever the attack is on our identity, we have a choice. You see, we have a choice in what we do next. But in order to engage that choice, we have to build some muscle. We have to build the intellectual and emotional and especially the spiritual muscles that will give us resilience. The resilience enough to make a choice. So I want to talk about this word resilience. The basic definition of resilience is the ability to recover quickly from difficulty. I'm not sure that I entirely like 
the idea of recovery because that seems to imply that we're going to restore things back to exactly the way they were. And any of us who have been through a trauma or any sort of difficulty in our life know that you don't actually always get back to exactly the way things were before it happened, right? You still bear the scars. You still bear the memory. I prefer the word heal, to heal. Because that implies that, yeah, we're back to whole. But we still might bear the scars of whatever harmed us. So perhaps our definition of resilience would be better written as the ability to heal from difficulties. I've also taken out the word quickly. Resilience may happen quickly, but it may not. Being able to return to whole, to me, is what resilience means. Now the difficulties that we talk about might be traumatic. We had examples of that this week. I mean, this tornado in, these tornadoes in Oklahoma, very traumatic, right? Or in our film, the trauma comes from the death of Captain Kirk's hero. Or circumstances that threaten our security. I'm sure we can all relate to those. But difficulties don't have to necessarily be traumatic. They don't need to rise to that level. To still kind of shake the core of our identity, of who we think we are. Perhaps it's simply losing a job. Or, like our samurai, an insult. An insult that questions our integrity. So the question is, in that moment, in that moment of trauma or difficulty or that event, who do you want to be on the other side of it? Who do you become in that moment? Do you become like our samurai or like Kirk? Angry, hate-filled, ready to kill. Ready to lash out. Who do you wish yourself to be? And those moments of choice, particularly when we have not developed our sense of resilience, when we don't have those muscles working, we, we risk becoming exactly that which we do not want to be. The samurai loses control and very nearly murders the monk. Kirk is set off and prepared to blindly kill the terrorist in revenge, forgetting his own values of justice, forgetting his own values of humanity. Now, you and I, when these things happen, might not fall into a murderous rage. But when our identity, when our security is threatened, we might act against our better natures, our strongest values, acting without compassion, without empathy, without regard for and love of the people and the world of which we are a part. So what we need is this strength, this muscle memory, to make a choice between our base selfish instincts of protection, which, by the way, will leave us as broken as ever, to choose between that and healing, 
which can restore our sense of wholeness. So the question becomes, how do we shape our resilience? How do we do this? How do we build the capacity intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually to recover and to heal from these moments of trauma or just simply moments of change? And I think one of the practices that help us shape our resilience is, as I was saying about, about James Kirk, is humility. I've described Kirk's journey through the last couple of Star Trek movies as a journey of humility. That is, he's transforming himself through admitting that he didn't have all the answers. His good intentions are insufficient ground, perhaps dangerous ground, from which to act. And the other characters in the movie, the other characters in his crew on the Enterprise, they, they act as foils, as those of you who've watched these movies kind of get. Spock is the often cold and rational voice. Bones is the passionate and compassionate voice on the other side. You know, you have Scotty, who's this brilliant engineer, miracle worker. All of them, all of them, through them, Kirk realizes that he does not and cannot possibly have all the answers to protect himself and his crew and to be whole and complete. And I think the shift into humility and, and, and perhaps vulnerability is key. And I think that shaping resilience necessary for Kirk to respond to change and grow spiritually and emotionally. But let me, let, me get out of, let me get out of the stars for a while and bring this baby back down to earth. I'm a little bit more personal. So as some of you may know, I used to be an architect. And I had spent a great deal of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money to get to a certain point in my career where I could call myself an architect. And I had built, very carefully and intentionally built, an intentional identity as a professional architect. That's who I was. And then I left it. About a dozen years ago, I made a choice. I left that career become a stay-at-home dad. And that choice was kind of risky, right? I'm an architect. That's my identity. That's who I am. And to set all that aside to be a stay-at-home and care for my children was to disrupt the security of that identity, to disrupt who I knew myself to be. You know, I remember at the time I had remained in contact with one of my advisors from graduate school and I had, I had let him know of this plan to leave architecture and become a stay-at-home father. And, um, and he said, he said this, he said, Greg, you need to be careful because if you do this, you're going to end up being a nobody. Yeah, he really said that. <laughs> Now, intuitively, of course, intuitively, of course, I knew he was wrong. I'm not going to be a nobody. I'm going to be dad, right? That's not nothing. 
But you know, at the time, there was this little niggling fear that he might be right. Because at the time, I certainly felt vulnerable. Exposed to the fact that I was no longer on the path that I had planned for myself. Now this change, of course, you know, I'm not saying that raising kids is traumatic. <laughs> Often. Maybe sometimes, but hopefully not very much, right? But for someone like me who had a particular career path in mind, it was, a, it was certainly a change that was an affront to who I was. And I was humbled by the experience. Because, of course, any time someone like me tries to negotiate anything with a two-year-old, we will touch deeply the inadequacy and uncertainty of who we think we are. So there I was, vulnerable and humble. Sure, but what then? How did I build resilience? Where did I find that? My sense of who I was in the world was uncertain. Well, I wouldn't say I was broken. I think there was some healing to be done. Some way of restoring my sense of self, connecting me back to being whole. And I found that healing that connection in community, specifically in a religious community where my vulnerability and humility were protected and held to be of value, which is kind of countercultural, you know? Humility and vulnerability in our culture aren't exactly things that we hold up and celebrate. I think we should. Maybe we could. But I don't see it very often. But when I entered into a Unitarian Universalist church in Iowa, it was where those things were held. And it's where I began to build my resilience, my strength to heal from whatever changes might happen in my life. I connected with the people there. They became a part of my larger family just as you all sitting here in this room have now become as well. These communities have taught me to be attentive to the relationships in my life, to cultivate them, and to let them shape who I am. And for me, that shaping went from being an architect through being a stay-at-home dad, now being a minister. That's not a path that any 18-year-old kid is going to set for themselves, right? <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> it's happened to me, and I'm not even sure I understand it, but I do know that I allowed myself to be vulnerable, to be open, to be maybe a humble, to maybe admit that I don't actually know what that path needs to be, and to let the people in my life to let those relationships form and shape who I am. It is beloved community that heals me, that restores me to the path that I am truly called to walk, and I assert it is for you as well, or it could be, if you cultivate these relationships. 
in our Wellsprings values, beliefs, and mission, we make the bold claim, and it is a bold claim, that we are a community of deep listening, that we possess the humility and vulnerability necessary to make positive change. We honestly evaluate where we are in the hope of courageously going where we are called to be. And we refer to this value in our, in our, in our statements as living with integrity. Living with integrity. Living with a life into a life that is whole and complete. A life that is resilient to the inevitable changes that result from our day-to-day living. And here at Wellsprings, we cultivate this. We have these opportunities for deep listening, I think particularly through our small groups, our springboards, but also even in the hospitality that you share with each other every Sunday. Every youth spirit class that you mentor every team that you decide to engage with, every fun and fellowship event that you attend, you are shaping your resilience as you help shape those around you. And as you do so in the inevitable changes that will occur in your life, whether they are traumatic or not, you will have the capacity to choose exactly who you wish to be. The kind of life you are called to live whole and complete. The samurai in our story, realizing the risk the monk took to teach him about hell, he falls to his knees in gratitude. And I can imagine him trembling. You see it? knowing what he just about did, and knowing the risk this monk took. He's probably overwhelmed with compassion and love for this monk. See, I believe that heaven and hell are states of being, not some final destination. States of being who we are today. And we can choose which state of being we want. Our capacity to do so mindfully is grounded in our resilience, our willingness to be vulnerable, to be humble, and to deeply connect to those who hold us and who shape our journey. To be whole, to be healed, and to be gratefully alive. That is heaven. That is heaven. Amen. Let us pray together. God of our hearts, we are grateful to be alive here today. Grateful to have the opportunity to connect to the people around us, to the people who will help shape our lives. May we enter into these relationships with humility, knowing we cannot know it all. May we enter into these relationships with vulnerability, our hearts open wide. As we do so, 
May we be formed, may we shape our resilience to take on life's changes, the big changes, the small changes. May we fill this world with our love, with our compassion. May we be the people we know we are in our hearts. May it be so. And amen.